The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Paranormal Podcast with Jim Harold. Welcome to the Paranormal Podcast. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. And today we're going to talk with someone I admire. I admire what he's done. He's basically taken the idea and his passion for things like monsters and cryptids and built his own movie studio right in basically rural Ohio, which I think is amazing. It's a huge success. It's called Small Town Monsters. He's been doing it for years He's been on the show many times, and we're so glad to have him. Uh, Seth Breedlove, welcome back to the show. Uh, so glad to speak with you once again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jim. Big, big fan. Always a big fan. Well, thank you. And uh, we were joking before. Usually we we spend 10 minutes talking about how you started, and you, you were listening to my shows and all these things. We're going to skip that. We're going to talk now about where Small Town Monsters is and where it's going. Actually, um, this is going to air in February, and right now you guys are doing something really, really big. Uh, it's really, really important to to keep this a going concern and successful, right? Yeah, yeah, we've we're on our tenth. This is our tenth uh, anniversary kicks, not the tenth anniversary Kickstarter, but our tenth Kickstarter. The actual ten year anniversary of Small Town Monsters is next year, but um, we launch a Kickstarter every February, very early February, that runs into March. Um, and the, the, that is a big piece of how we fund what we do at small town monsters. And this year we are funding, um, on the trail of Bigfoot, the ancients, uh, cryptid, the goat man, uh, Courtney's holding up a list of the movies. So I don't forget them lost contact <laughs> and, uh, Dogman territory, which is a movie about, uh, the land between the lakes and, uh, dog man sightings in the land between the lakes. There's also, but if this is airing in February, by then it'll be, have been announced. So we are also uh, doing a fifth surprise, fifth movie called Cursed Waters, the creature of Lake Okanagan, which was filmed last May in British Columbia and is about uh, Ogopogo. Um, okay. And then there's also one of our books is also a part of the campaign this year, which is um, called I'm blanking. Wait, where is it? hunting grounds yeah <laughs> there's, there's so much stuff that we're doing anymore that i'm i i it's hard just to keep track of all the different projects we're about to announce like an additional three films tomorrow on the on the live stream that'll that'll air right up to the kickstarter launch too so yeah we're recording um, this everybody on january 31st the kickstarter the kickstarter starts on feb 1st so if we refer back to we're not in a time machine. It's just that uh, this was pre-recorded a little bit before it aired. Now, um, Seth, how many, as of you know February 1st, 2024, how many films has Small Town Monsters done? C close to, close to, I'm trying to think because it will be, 
it'll 27, 28, somewhere in that uh-huh. neighborhood, but we already have two of next year's shot. So in my head, it's 30. Um, by the, by the time this year wraps up, it'll be well over 30 because we're putting out six to eight this year. So there's, there's a lot, but then there's, you know, the episodic content is really taking a front seat here as well. Um, I'm not working on any of that this year outside of producing it and, and helping to bankroll it. But the episodic content is really, really about to step into the, the limelight at STM We're we're filming a show, um, at the Canton palace theater here in, in, uh, two weeks, I think, um, that is called UFOs revisited, revisited, um, which is, uh, probably a 15 to 18 episode, uh, series, uh, kind of exploring the, the rich history of ufology and ufological cases and phenomena associated with it. Uh, and then we're also doing another, um, season of on the trail of UFOs. We are doing more of Bigfoot beyond the trail. Um, there's a show that's already running called road to discovery. Um, there's more Sasquatch unearthed coming. There's, I mean, the, the amount of content we're putting, we've, we're at 150 hours worth of content created over the last, uh, 10 years at this point. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. So basically, so people understand you've got your regular mainline films, which you start out with are your bread and butter. Those are available on various video on demand outlets. Correct. That's yeah. They're, they're. Yeah, they're, they are right now. If you go looking for a lot of our stuff, it isn't available. Most of that has to do with the legal issues we had with the previous distributor. But we are literally today in the process of launching these back onto like Amazon and Tubi and things like that. So right. they will be available hopefully by very early March. So the bulk of the catalog will be back on most of the streaming platforms. Um, but that is, yeah, we, we refer to those as like the feature films that right. is, it's the, it's the way we built the company. It's my, it continues to be my main focus as a creator. Um, I, I love telling those long form stories and, um, especially in the, on the trail of Bigfoot series, but what I'm working on right now editing is, is Dogman territory. So, um, there's there is a huge focus on on the feature films as well. And then this episodic content, people find that on YouTube. Is that generally where they YouTube, find it? YouTube for now. But the reason we're focusing on it so heavily is um, Tubi has become a big outlet for that stuff as well. You can find uh, Sasquatch Unearthed, The Ridge, and the first season of Bigfoot Beyond the Trail on Tubi now. Uh, we'll have Bigfoot Project. We'll have most of the episodic content on Tubi here in the next two months. Um, and then we are uh, preparing to launch our own fast channel this spring, which is called Unexplained TV. And that will be, we're, we're not sure yet, like the platforms it'll be available on, but the, mm-hmm. the fast channel will hopefully be on like Roku and, and Sling and things like that. So if people aren't familiar, what is a fast channel? So that is free ad supported television. So it's, it's constantly 24 hours a day streaming, uh, all the, all the different content we've created. And that would include the films. Um, yeah, that is neat. It it won't be relegated to just, uh, the episodic content. We'll have our movies on there and it'll be programmed. We're, we're planning some really exciting things with that. There's going to be like themed days, you know, where we stream like eight hours of werewolf themed movies or, you know, six hours of Mothman stuff, whatever it is. 
Um, and that'll be constantly streaming 24 seven. Oh, that is awesome. Um, that's that's, that's kind of like the future of, 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 of our company, honestly, because it, it's going to position us uh, in a place where we're able to, to basically uh, control our own distribution going forward. Right. Um, so, so that's, that's why we're really focusing so heavily on the episodic uh, side of the company. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, uh, really, uh, if you look at things like Pluto, things like Tubi, things like Freebie, these things are the things that are taking over. You know, a lot of the for pay streaming services are not doing well. It's really the ad supported ones. So kudos for you to, uh, to, to get going on that and bring the content to the people and find them where they are and allow them to enjoy and get the information and the entertainment, another way to, to, to reach people. Now, mm-hmm. also, you have a publishing arm. That's That's been uh, another thing that you've been doing with books. How's that going? It's great. Um, the, the most exciting thing that happened with the publishing side of the company this past year was the release of the Dogman Triangle book and film. Um, we had done a, a, a couple books prior to that. One was a, a children's book called The Veggie Man. Uh, and the other one was The Kinderhook Creature uh, by Bruce Hallenbeck. Um, but then when we put out uh, Dogman Triangle by Aaron Deese, we were able to tie a film directly into it. And I I love the process of um, bringing the, the book to an audience that might not have discovered it otherwise. And this was all done completely, you know, I mean, we're a very small company. So we, we self-published this book. I mean, you could call it self-publishing. We're, we're calling ourselves a publisher, but this is all new territory for us. Um, so being able to tie in like a piece of content to the book and then introduce the book to an audience that might not have otherwise found found it was was really cool for us and the that was by far the most successful book we put out so this year pretty much everything we're doing publishing wise will tie into some sort of uh feature or episodic series or a special um so we are doing we're doing dogman territory and what okay i need jason Jason Hewlett, Courtney is literally going to sit here and feed this to me because otherwise I'm not going to remember. So Jason Hewlett is an author from British Columbia mm-hmm. who wrote a book about Ogopogo, which is called, we don't know. Uh, and then we have a book by Ron Murphy coming out later this year that is about mystery lights, which I think we do have a title for, but I don't have it in front of me. So th- a lot of this has just come up to in the last like month and we're, Brown. huh? No. So it's, it's a lot, but, um, we're, we're publishing three books this year and then, um, there's probably going to be more coming next year, but the, the fun as a company, the funnest thing for us is to be able to, to put out the book, but then also create something that sort of centers around it and puts the author of that book in the, in the spotlight. And then you also have the the live event, which was a new thing for you last year. You're doing it again, Monster Fest too. I was glad to be at the first one, thrilled to be uh, coming to the second one as well, being there, uh, doing a live campfire. Uh, talk about that. I mean, people would look at everything you've said to date and said, man, he's got a lot on his plate. That's enough. And you said, no, I'm going to add a major live event, which I got to say, 
I mean, I'm biased, obviously, because I'm a part of the event, but I was just amazed at how well it went off last year, being a first-time event. And people were commenting, had a great time. This was fantastic. When's the next one? I mean, it really had a great a great vibe to it. Um, but why live events added to all this other stuff? Well, we we used to do an event here in, in oh, that's Minerva right. called Minerva Monster Day. So it kind of like sprung out of my I I love doing that that event, and it was the honestly the reason we're here today is because of Minerva Monster Day because I was able to drum up all this interest from the media surrounding that event. Um, uh, Monster Fest is a little different. Uh, that That is sort of like a Comic-Con atmosphere uh, that is focused on, you know, the paranormal and cryptids. But the biggest thing for me was always doing something that was family friendly. Um, I, honestly, most of the most of the stuff we do is is geared at like all ages. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have a son. I I. I want him to be able to experience this stuff. Um, and I know a lot of the events I go to aren't necessarily interested in being inviting of children or families right. in general. Um, so that was the impetus for it. It was really creating an event that was inviting of, of all ages and that they can come in and learn about, you know, Bigfoot and cryptids and things like that and experience this stuff and maybe gain their own interest in, in some of these subjects, whether you believe in Bigfoot or not, it's a fascinating thing. And it gets kids in the woods. It gets kids out exploring and, and trying to find new things. And so that, that for me was always the goal with the event was to do something that was, was all ages appropriate where we could also, you know, we try to do a mix of, of guests um there there's well-established folks you know like yourself or the astonishing legends guys people that everyone knows cliff barrickman uh, but then there's there's people that they might not have you know the familiarity with like aaron deese and and um you know some of the other amy boo like some of the local researchers and things like that so we try to get a good mix of like of of guests involved and then this year we're also introducing the workshops uh, alongside the speakers. So there's, there's a, a pretty broad range of activities that'll be involved. There's a screening room and then the, the vendor hall, which is like 70 around 70 vendors, something like that. So there's a, there's a lot of people that, that come to this and it's like their introduction to, to the paranormal because kids 12 and under get in free too, which is great for, you know, families, especially locally mm -hmm. who want to come out and at attend an event like this for free, their kids for free. No, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. It, it really, you know, it, this would be a thing if I weren't appearing at it and, and doing the podcast and, and meeting people, I would attend it just for fun because it, it just really is that good. It was, it was really excellent. It was really excellent. Awesome. I'm looking forward to uh, this year. And that's happening uh, June 28th and 29th. Is that right? Is it June 28th and 29th? Yes. yes. Hey! Jim, it's a good thing Jim knew that because I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of talked about the business uh, but no business is anything without its people. And you talk about family. And when I was around you guys, because I'd never, you know, we've done this a million times. We met when we went out to Colorado. We've told that story a million times to, to, yeah. to be on George Norrie's show. Coincidentally, at the same time, that's how we met. But but I'd never been at one of these events. And I was struck by you and your team and like the family, uh, family environment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And... 
how you guys get along and you're like the the dad of like this uh, family of filmmakers and researchers and people are united in their interest in this stuff. Can you talk mm-hmm. about the Small Town Monsters family, your staff, because uh, you have a lot of very knowledgeable, very smart, very great people, but people at all, I kept thinking, you know, these people are pulling in the same direction and that's really kind of hard to pull off. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, and I would include people like you in, in that family, honestly, because I mean, I, we are, so some of the crew I've known forever, um, Zach Palmasano, who's my director of photography, Jason Udis, um, who does our sound and, and behind the scenes photography and is going to be the programming director for Unexplained TV. Um, they've been friends, we've been friends since we were kids. Um, and then, you know, Mark Matsky and I got started in all of this around the same time. We did an, a podcast together called Sasswat. Um, Heather and Courtney mm-hmm. came in to STM around the same time and they've grown up together. Um, and then Alexander Petikov, despite the fact he lives in New Hampshire, uh, is a vital part of the crew and has been involved since 2016. And Eli Watson has been doing stuff now for five years with us. So um, as far as just, I don't know what it is. We, we You connect with certain people um, whether it's on a person, you know, your personalities click or you just have the same kind of outlook on this stuff, uh, whatever it is that, that brings us together. We, we, I do consider it a family. I've always called us uh, a family. Um, you know, we take care of each other and we're all kind of aligned in the, the direction we're heading, but there are people that are kind of like outside. I don't consider it that, but they're, you know, that might not be on the payroll or like directly a part of SDM like Shannon or, um, you know, people like yourself or mm-hmm. some of the researchers we work regularly with like cliff. Um, it's, it's you, you do find that over time that whether, whether it's that you see things the same way or you just might not take it as seriously <laughs> as, as some as, you know, like sometimes it's just the fact that you can both laugh at certain things uh, that that sort of gets you I on the same Im- wavelength. I think it's important because, I, I mean, I take experiencers seriously and I believe there is something oh, to yeah. this stuff. But, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's this comedian by the name of UFO Phil. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever seen him. He's a hoot. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of stuff with Coast to Coast AM and stuff. I've had him on a couple shows. And then I had Rain Wilson on the show who was doing um, a podcast where he was spoofing paranormal podcast hosts and acting Mm -hmm. in role. And I laughed at it. And some people were like, well, you're not taking this seriously. It's like I can take it seriously and laugh just like Mm -hmm. I can politics or religion or anything. You can I, I think it's good to have both sides of that. I mean, I take this very seriously. I believe there's something to much of it. I really believe that. I don't think every leaky faucet is a ghost. I don't think every creature seen in the wood is is a Bigfoot. I don't think every light in the sky is an alien. But I think it might be the case in some of those cases. So I take it seriously. But I think you also have to have a sense of humor about life in general. In fact, I would say that's what's wrong with our society today. A lot. Yeah. One of the things, uh, nobody can laugh at themselves. We're all so serious and so pious and our viewpoints are always right. So... Um, yeah, I think having a sense of humor about it and taking it seriously both, I think you can do you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a big a big part of what what brings the crew together. I mean, we just had a, a meeting for the Kickstarter earlier today and it was mostly us just 
making fun of each other. So, and, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty common for, for how things function here. Well, uh, I think you've got a winning formula there. When we get back, I want to talk with Seth about, we talked about the business. We've talked about how everything works at Small Town Monsters. Now we want to talk a little bit about the monsters right after this on the Paranormal Podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to the Paranormal Podcast. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to come back from the break and talk more with Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters. So let's get to that monsters part. Now, just to recap, if I remember correctly, again, for people who haven't heard us talk before, you, I think you started out, correct me if I'm wrong, as someone who was really interested in this, but you weren't necessarily a believer. I don't think you were a debunker. I don't think you were a hardcore, I'm going to disprove all of this. But you were probably a little more on the skeptical side than the believer side when you started out. Is that an accurate representation? Where were you at that time? It's it's fairly accurate. I was I was my eyes were were wide open to the whole thing um, when I got into it. And there's been like a trajectory of of like I don't I don't buy any of this to I I buy some of it back to like I don't buy any of this and then to where I am today to especially with like Bigfoot where I've actually had a sighting so I 100% think those things are real. Um you know, there's there's I think anyone that's involved in this would be would be dishonest if they claimed that every day of the week they bought they bought 90% of the stuff they're told. Um and so yeah, there's been a there's been a path that I've been on, you know, while I'm into it. And over that the course of that, you you form your own opinions on different topics. Um I certainly don't lump in Bigfoot with things like Dogman or Mothman. Um or, or the paranormal side of stuff, um, you know, and I have different opinions on UFOs than I did five years ago. So there's a I'm sure you you're the same way I am. Uh, but I think that's that's common for for people that are in this as long as we've been. Yeah, I, I often say with Bigfoot, because that's one I've always had and I've not had uh, an experience, unfortunately. I mean, uh, that would be kind of neat. That, that would be a neat thing to have that experience. But um, it's a situation where. Some days I'm all in. I'm like, yes, Bigfoot exists. And then next day it's like, well, why haven't they found a body? And why haven't they found, you know, this, found that? And I know the reasons why. Uh, We all know the reasons why. But it's like you go back and forth. And then I look at the Patterson-Gimlin film again, uh, remastered, and you see muscle tone. Like, that's not an outfit. That's not a costume. So, I mean, again, it kind of depends on the day of the week that you catch me. But I do, you know, I, I believe there's probably something to it, mainly because of the witnesses. And I got to think for you, you know, you have a lot of contact directly with storytellers. I do in an audio sense with Campfire, but you do with the movies and you go out and see these people, you see their faces. Uh, and I, I've got to believe that the experiencers have informed a lot of the way you feel about this, right? Yeah. And I mean, there's a weird thing that happened maybe like, 
I mean, I think it's always been going on, but especially in the last like five years where people are like, like to, to echo this, um, this idea that, that testimony doesn't matter that like mm-hmm. we need some, de- we, we have to have some, like some sort of d- definitive proof or evidence in front of us, some physical evidence in front of us. But yeah, for me, it always comes down to the, the, sto- the stories I'm told and who is telling them. Um, I, I have been doing this for, for coming up on 20 years because despite the fact I've only been doing small town monsters for 10, before I got into this, I was doing, uh, newspaper reporting. So I've, I've talked to people and taken stories, you know, a good chunk of my life. And I do think that I have a a pretty good sense BS detector as people call it. Um, and I don't buy every story I'm, I'm told, but you know, the, the thing that it always comes down to for me are this, the most believable witnesses are the ones who have nothing to gain by telling their story are very hesitant to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the ones I'm the most interested in. I, I bristle when I get, when I have people reaching out to me, begging to be involved in, in a project. Because that's a, to me, that's a red flag. There's there, typically the, the most believable witnesses I've interviewed are people who actually have no interest in going in front of the camera, um, who I basically have to spend a good deal of time convincing to come, to come in front of the camera to tell their story. Um, there is becoming, uh, uh, and I'm sure you've experienced this to some degree, there, there is a desire, I think, anymore to have some form of celebrity Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by concocting a story and, and telling it on camera. But I would say 90% of the witnesses we have on camera in our films are people we had to coax into doing that. Um, and so, yeah, for me, the testimony, witness testimony is always going to be the the biggest part of, of the evidence side of all of this that I am drawn to. It drives me crazy when we put out content on YouTube and, and you get a billion comments with people begging for like foot casts or, or believable photographs or video or whatever, uh, because there isn't, you know, there's no evidence here of Bigfoot. Well, what do you, what do you call like the 20 minute witness story that that sort of wraps this whole thing up to begin with? Um, so yeah, for me, it's, it's the stories rather than any one piece of physical evidence. Cause frankly, the physical evidence across phenomenon is, um, uh, it is lacking, you know, whether right. it's UFOs or ghosts or whatever it's, it's lacking. And I don't know what it attributes to that. I don't know what accounts for that. Um, uh, if I did, I, we'd all know whether or not any of this stuff is 100% real or not. I mean, I'm as confused today as why we don't have a Bigfoot body or a photo as I was, 10 years ago. And I just saw one of these things two years ago. I don't understand how on a property where I had trail cameras set up, I don't have photos of the things that I know were on the property and there were multiple. So it's as confusing today as ever that we don't have more physical proof of Bigfoots and UFOs and ghosts. Yeah. I mean, UFOs are out there, but you know, you know, it's so true because the thing is, people say, well, you know, you you must have, you've been doing this 19 years now. You must have it all figured out 19 years come this July. And it's like, no, 
I have more questions now than when I started. I'm just more convinced these things are real. In some cases, I'm talking about all the phenomena, that there is a reality to these things really happening and that the world is a lot stranger than we give it credit for. That's the thing I think I've learned. But in terms of being able to say this is the explanation or that's the explanation, I don't know. I don't know. I just ask questions. Uh, So now the getting back to the witnesses, to me, for like Bigfoot, right? I think some of the most compelling things would be you know, you've got somebody who's been a forestry worker or someone who's been a hunter for 30 years. People that were born and raised, uh, born, born, born and raised. Born, my family's we're from, from Ohio. Yeah, well, yeah. my family's from West Virginia, I was about to say, so yeah, yeah. I, I come by it honestly. Uh, born and raised in, in these areas. And I know because I was around people like that, people who knew the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I don't want to belittle. I want to celebrate that and say, hey, you really should listen to these people. I bet you've run into a ton of those people who are just like, you look at the face and you can see the lines on their faces and they've kind of worn this lifestyle and and lived this country that they're in and don't like the back of their hand. I think it's hard to discount some of those people. And I'm sure you've run into many of them, right? Yeah, I mean, right now the big there's there's an article that just dropped in the last couple of weeks about the correlation between Bigfoot reports and places where there are black bear, and what the writer mm. was trying to do was was just yeah. write off all Bigfoot reports as black bear, right? But the the issue with that is that the these places and a lot of the people who are reporting these Bigfoots have been around black bear know what a black bear looks like whether it's on all fours or it's standing on on two legs um they're not necessarily going to just misidentify a black bear as a bigfoot i believe that happens for sure but there there's not it's it doesn't you can't whitewash the entire history of Bigfoot away as well. People are just misidentifying bears, but people love to, especially skeptics love to, to write this stuff off in a way that is very cut and dry, like a neat little explanation for the whole thing. And it's not possible. There's too many witnesses, too many witnesses who are experts in observation. Um, you know, William Dranginis, Bill Dranginis, um, passed away back in what, what was it 2016 he was an fbi agent who had a sighting a bigfoot sighting mm-hmm. um the guy and he had two other agents with him when it happened um the, the, these are not guys who are just misidentifying a bear you know in a, in a place where there happened to be bear and bigfoot in the same location um the the other thing that i think really stands out for me with witnesses are when one witness in one location identifies a commonality that is is frequently cited by other witnesses um especially when it's a witness that you know has no knowledge of the bigfoot topic um who wouldn't necessarily know this things like um peaking you know like tree peaking bigfoots that's a real common there's this this common thread of people seeing bigfoot like lean out from behind a tree or peeking out from behind a tree there's also the commonality of like the way though there's been multiple encounters that involved like a bigfoot approaching a tent and touching the tent or running a hand over the tent um there's commonalities in physical attributes those those always stand out to me when I talk to one witness in in a certain location that identifies 
uh, uh, something that I've interviewed another witness eight states away on, and they both align in what they're describing, you know, physically or whatever it is, character, just just uh, some sort of personality characteristic. That happens a lot, and I I find that's the thing that that really keeps me heavily invested, especially in the Bigfoot subject. So I I won't ask you your favorite because then if you forget somebody, somebody might get mad. But who is one of your absolute favorite experiencers and storytellers that you've had on camera to share what's happened with them? Who's one? I don't know. I don't know if you met him. He was at Monster Fest, but Martin Groves. um, I might have. Martin was a a police officer. Interestingly enough, in in uh, Robertson County, um, down where the Bell Witch is. Um, and in fact, I think he was actually in Adams, Tennessee, where the, where the Bell Witch story originates. But Martin had a, a really wild encounter. And when I say wild, I mean like wild as in it's so wild that just hearing it without knowing his backstory or meeting him, you would say, well, this has to be made up because it's a crazy story. Um, it involves uh, encountering Bigfoots and Dogman in the same place. And essentially being escorted out of the forest by by Bigfoots while being stalked by dogmen. Um, and it's it's a wild story, but he is a very believable witness. Um, I've interviewed him now twice um, about this story, and I, I always find that he is absolutely genuine, 100 percent believes what he's telling you and you can tell the guy isn't making the story up. Mm-hmm. It's something that, that he believes happened. Um, so Martin, Martin's the one I, I would go to the most and just because also we were the reason that story has been told on camera. He told it in uh, American werewolves for the first time and it had to be again, like that's a situation where Heather had to do a ton of coaxing to get him to come on camera and tell us his story. Um, but he, he's, he's, Probably, probably tops for me. And um, now I have, uh, I'll tell you a story happened to me and see if you've had anything similar. And this is still a mystery because I have no idea who it was. It. Um, someone called my personal number, which I don't give out, and left a voicemail and said, we're out here and we've got, we've got Bigfoot knees mining uranium. I have no idea who it was. Do you ever get anything like that? I mean, anything that's like on the other side, like, whoa, (laughs) come on now. Yeah. And I'm trying, like, I'm trying to, to, I the most common are, are, are like, um, oh shoot. I just want habituation stories, like habituations to the point where like Bigfoots are coming into my house and eating dinner with me. Mm -hmm. Um, those, those we get, I, I get emails constantly with stories like that. Um, you know, or, or Bigfoot came out of a portal and escorted me back into it. And I spent a week in his, in his homelands in, in another reality. We get, we get things like that quite often. Um, the Mothman movie invited a lot of, of reports like that, um, as well, where we, we had, I was getting emails from one person in particular who was telling me about how Mothman would appear outside their window every night. And then eventually it morphed into Mothman was like coming into their house and sleeping on their couch. Oh, and so, so we get, we get 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, that's probably more common than the believable or more mundane sighting stories. Uh, the, so it's kind of kind of separating those out a little bit, separating yeah. them out a little bit. Now, other than Bigfoot, what is um, what is your favorite cryptid? Because I know Bigfoot is kind of front and center, I think, in this whole field. But uh, what's your what's your what's your number two? Well, the the Flatwoods monster story is always going to be my my absolute favorite of all these. Um, it's it's Flatwoods monster and Minerva monster. Those are like my top two. My son has taken a, a quite a liking to the Flatwoods monster, which is why I've I've always loved that story. But just my son uh, sort of adopting it as his own now um, has really given me a love for that story in particular. But as far as like traditional cryptids, I'm I'm very interested remain very interested in the in the in the entire thunderbird phenomenon um you know i i've especially lately tommy's been watching terror in the skies a lot um, mm-hmm. and we've had discussions you know which is always interesting with a six-year-old um <laughs> ab- ab- about about thunderbirds and you know i tell him my personal opinion is that thunderbirds are just abnormally large birds that that sort of like spring up in in known species um and so that's but but we have very interesting discussions about that one so thunderbirds are always top of the list and then i i do have quite the fondness for lake monsters and so i'm very excited about the fact we're putting out an ogopogo movie this year because i've always been fascinated by by lake monsters and we you know we did on the trail of champ back in 2016 and, and this year we're doing the cursed waters movie um so i i love those those are my top right there well one thing about flatwoods monster really weird for me i didn't even know about the flatwoods monster my mom uh was born no born and raised about 40 miles from flatwoods i remember and, you telling me yeah, that. yeah and i i had no idea i'd never even heard of it yeah. Uh, so that's that's and I used to go there uh, every um, every summer. In fact, we'd pass uh, what is now known as the uh, or way back was the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, mm-hmm. which became the West Virginia State Hospital. And we used to pass that through Weston as we were going down to the area where my mom was from. So, yeah, small world, small world. Wish I'd know more about that growing up. That's that's yeah. kind of cool. You talked about lake monsters, and and I'll extend it out to sea monsters. To me, those are some of the most plausible because I've said this a million times on the show, but it's said that we know less about the deep ocean, for example, than we know about outer space. Uh, And all the time you see, particularly on ocean shores, uh, you will see things wash up and they'll say, oh, this is something we thought was extinct or they will discover a new species. To me... Waterborne cryptids, in some ways, I think, are easier to believe than than land-based. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's exactly that. It's the fact that we know less about the ocean, especially with the, the seaborne monsters. I, f- I find I'm all about, like, Tommy is absolutely, again, everything comes back to my six-year-old, but he's absolutely obsessed with, like, sh- sharks and megalodons right now are, like, top for him. And so... uh we talk about that very often and yeah, I'm in the same, same camp because of the fact that we know so little about the ocean and even some of these lakes, when you talk about the lakes that do have lake monster stories, you you have, sure. We have stories like uh, Atwood Lake here in Ohio supposedly had a monster and that's a very, 
it's not a very big lake and it's man-made so it makes no sense but it's got it's got its own lake monster story but a lot of the lakes with plausible stories like Loch Ness or or Lake Champlain uh, or Lake Okanagan they're massive lakes um, typically very deep uh, that have some sort of you can at least theorize in your head how something like a plesiosaur could exist in a place like Loch Ness. Right. Um, and, and yeah, no, I'm in this, I've, I've been that way as for even before I was really into this stuff, I always thought the lake monsters were far more believable than something like a Bigfoot. Um, and pretty much for the reasons you, you put out there. Now here's a, here's one for you, you know, um, let me, let me back up into the sea monsters and, and ocean born monsters. You know, now there's increasing thought from the UFO UAP camp that maybe whatever non-human intelligence that David Grush talked about in front of Congress, maybe just because they're new and non-human does not mean that they come from outer space, but they might come from down below the earth and also under the oceans because you have, uh, you know, unidentified submersible objects. Mm -hmm. Uh, USOs, which I know Richard Dolan, who we just interviewed, is doing a big book on. So I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, the idea extends now even more so to looking at maybe not up above, but down below for supposed, quote, aliens or non-human intelligences. Well, this was huge in the 70s. Like the the I remember I remember watching episodes of like unsolved mysteries and stuff about the lost city of Atlantis and how mm-hmm. there was, it was the possible, some sort of, you know, like aquatic s- a species of people that now lived under the ocean that were creating technology that was responsible for UFOs. I've read books about that. Like, like as a kid, I read books about that. Right. So that's, it is interesting that we're circling back around to that now yeah. um, because it was always one of my favorite my favorite concepts uh as a kid um you know as a kid i i was obsessed with Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and still am today um and and that's you know it's a look at people managing to survive under the ocean in this vessel and and that's essentially what we're talking about now only the vessel can come out of the ocean and fly into our sky and circle around and things like that i've always been a big fan of that whole line of thought. I don't know how believable it is. I don't know that you're right. going to get science to look into it in a serious way, but I'm, I've always been fascinated with it. That, that movie, what, what's the, what's the, uh, James Cameron movie about, about the, uh, the, the like life form that they encounter under the ocean, the, fl- the, what is, how am I? The abyss? The, the abyss. abyss. Yeah. 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 The abyss. And that's the whole so- concept behind that film. The interesting thing, because I kind of saw the smile on your face when you were talking about unsolved mysteries, I think so many of us who have taken this, whether it's authors, researchers, filmmakers, podcasters, whatever it is, who have made this either our profession or a major part of our life, we all have that same route. We went to the library and we read the books. We read those Time Life books about all the different mysteries. We watched In Search Of. We watched Unsolved Mysteries. And it's so funny when people were creating that content, they probably had no idea no idea that this would spur on, you know, I, I read where Robert Stack was skeptical of the more supernatural episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, but they did great in the ratings. So, mm-hmm. you know, the idea is we're gonna do more of these. But 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 the point being, it 
it kind of in, planted the seed with all of us of our generation. And I would like to think that what you're doing, and maybe a little bit what I'm doing, but what you're doing is planting the seed with the next generation. Have you ever thought about that? That, you know, 30 years from now, <laughs> somebody's going to be on whatever a podcast is then. They're probably full-blown holograms. And they're like, man, I really got into this because of the small town monsters movies. Did you ever think of that? Yeah. I mean, I've had I've had people tell me, I've had kids tell me that. Um, in fact, at Monster Fest, I was interviewed by a, a young man. Um, his mom had reached out to me and asked me if if he could interview interview me at the Camp House Theater at Monster Fest. And I did an interview with him. And that was like one of the big things he he had told me through email was that he's interested in all of this today because he saw Minerva Monster when he was like six years old. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is interesting to think about because if I if I really look at the broad scope of STM movies, the bulk of them are somehow influenced by watching unsolved mysteries and old episodes of sightings at my grandma's house in, in the late eighties, early nineties, like the mm -hmm. style, the tone, like, and then there's movies I've made that directly ape that style, you know, to pay homage to that stuff. So it'll be interesting if, if, uh, down the road, some kid makes movies in the style of small town monsters, whatever that would be. I don't even know that, you know, what a specific style is that we have, but who knows? Well, whatever it is, it's working. People love it. And uh, really, I just see it growing and growing and growing. You're going to kind of, I just saw where, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy by the name of Byron Allen. He used to be a host like in the early 80s in a show called Real People. He's become a billionaire and a media mogul, and he's trying to buy Paramount. I see Seth Breedlove in that category. You know, he's going to be the the king of all paranormal media someday. So, um, Seth, now's the time when we tell everybody what they should be paying attention to, what they should be plugging into, how they can help small town monsters continue the great work you're doing through your Kickstarter. Uh, let them have it. <laughs> yeah. If, if you go on Kickstarter and just look up small town monsters, this year's campaign will be the first one that pops up. Um, so you can just go on kickstarter.com and then put in small town monsters in the search that that will bring you to us um i have been in touch with the kickstarter's head of of film and tv um and they said that we would be one of their projects they lo we love again so we might be on the main page on kickstarter this year um <clears throat> so that's the easiest way to find the kickstarter uh smalltownmonsters.com has all the information on the films and the series and the book publishing and monster fest as well. So if you're, you're interested in all of that, um, definitely visit small town monsters or we're on all the social media platforms. Um, so Facebook and YouTube and, uh, well, I guess not YouTube, but we are on YouTube, but social media probably doesn't cover. You're that. everywhere. Uh, yeah, we're everywhere. You can find us on all those platforms. Well, I'll be making my contribution to that Kickstarter, Seth Breedlove. Thank you for joining us and continued success in everything you do. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Paranormal Podcast. I appreciate it. And if you like what you see and what we do, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. This is kind of, we've been starting and stopping on the YouTube channel for like four years 
But this year, we've committed to putting every episode of the Paranormal Podcast on YouTube. So please let us know if you enjoy. Please share it with a friend. Subscribe and follow the channel. And we appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you next time. Stay safe, share the show, and stay spooky. Bye-bye. <laughs>